And if All right, we're back in the saddle. War in the Hockey Podcast. It's been a week or two, so our apologies. Uh, some things going on, but uh, we are back with it. Episode 96 this week, inching ever closer to that 100 mark. Uh, head to the necessary social media platforms. Let me get this out of the way before we start. Um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, War in the Hockey Podcast, at War in the Hockey Podcast. Wherever you find us, hit subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, hit the notification bell so you're alerted and uh, enjoy. Episode 96, War in the Hockey Podcast. The season is officially underway. Officially. 86. And we're underway. Good, good. Officially, good. officially. Um, few things to talk about. We'll just see where things go. I won't dare say it's going to be a short one because it really never is. <laughs> no, they never are. We're So uh, right now, let me just get this part out of the way. There's a couple things that aren't necessarily um, newsworthy items. I mean, they're not like time-sensitive items. Um, believe as of today, as of this recording, 15 guys in the National Hockey League vaccinated, test positive, ineligible to play. Do with that information as you see fit. But that is, uh, that's what's going on every day. It's a new guy and okay, they were all vaccinated. All I'll say about it, I, you heard me, I ranted and raved before we hit record, but I'll, I'll say about it while recording. And this is all I'm going to say about it. If you don't see, and I, I, I really want to be careful to not say it's my way or the highway, I don't want to be like a leftist idiot in that regard, but facts are facts nonetheless. And if you don't see the hypocritical BS with this whole thing about get fully vaccinated, otherwise you can't play, but oh, now that you're fully vaccinated, we still can test you. And if you have a positive test, you can't play. If you don't see the hypocritical bullshit problem with that, then all due respect, but really I don't care about respect at that point. You're too stupid to listen to us or to really or to really care. So just move, move on. We're fine. And just go stick your head in the sand. But that it's, it's a big problem if you don't, if with, with all that shit and it, it, it's got to stop. Yep. So the other, the other debacle that just will not go away and mark my words, it's going to get worse before it gets better is Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel. Yep. It is a mess. It, and calling it a mess is as polite as I can be. This is a guy who has a $10 million AAV. He has a neck injury that has yet to be treated. Uh, they're asking the moon for him. He's an elite player, one of the top players in the league when he's healthy. If he's not healthy, he may be worth a fourth rounder. Who knows? But right now, Who's going to give him any? Who's going to give up anything more than a conditional pick for him? And if that's the case, he Jack Eichel will not play this year in twenty one twenty two. He will not play. If they can get rid of him, which I think everybody wants, including Eichel's camp, everybody wants him out of Buffalo. If they get rid of him for a conditional pick, the conditional pick probably probably won't be evaluated until the end of next year what, because he won't play this season. What if next season he can only play 30 games? That conditional pick's got to slide down and down and down if that's the case. And you won't know that till the end of the season at 22-23. So then the conditional pick becomes either a first rounder or two first rounders or a third or a fourth. 
Now, your rebuild in Buffalo has just kicked two or three years further down the road before you get a draft pick, let alone an NHL-ready player. So right now, it's been, what, eight months, ten months since Eichel played, and it may be another year. Here's your other problem with, with it. Buffalo is refusing to retain salary. Right. Which, which is an ignorant thing to do. They're refusing to retain salary. And the reality of it is, is if you're trying to offload him, especially with everything going on, you're going to have to. There's just no other way around it. His cap hit and, hit and, and everything is too high for him to not play for whatever team he's traded to because of his injury issues. So you, you trade him. He still doesn't really get in the lineup. If he does, he may or may not stay healthy. And Oh, by the way, you're taking on a nine or eight, nine or $10 million cap hit, whatever he is from a team. That's not going to retain any salary. Colorado was in on Jack Eichel. They wanted him and McKinnon to be the one, two center punch. The, The issue Colorado halted because Buffalo wouldn't retain salary. Correct. You've got to retain salary in this situation. Under normal circumstances, I think Jack Eichel is a, is a, the type of player where I don't where you can offload him. You don't need to retain salary. You can give up these pieces, and he's that kind of guy for you to help you win hockey games. But with everything going on right now, you've got to retain salary, and you've got you've got to figure out the medical issues. You do yep. you do those things, and you can move him. But the reality of it is, is you backed yourself into a corner now. Both Eichel and the Savers. It's no longer a uh, one is wrong, the other is right. They're they're both in the in the shits with this. Both yeah. of them, both of them have backed the, the team and Eichel and everybody into a corner to where now all you can really do to get out of it is either wait until Eichel's contract is up, whenever that is, and have him leave and and walk and sign elsewhere, or move him for a conditional pick just to be done with it. But that's all you can do, and especially when you're not going to retain salary. You've got to retain salary in this situation, and their refusal to do so is making it worse. Yep. Yep. So, like, if you're Colorado or if you're Anaheim, who has also been rumored to be in pretty active talks with them, who you're, you give up a you give up a great young prospect, a high draft pick, you get this guy. So you're taking on his ten million bucks. You can LTIR him for this season and avoid that problem, but after the end of this year, then what? Either he can play and, you, and you've got a player that's now, you know, a full-time daily part of your roster and your rebuild or your cup run or whatever your situation is, or he's still banged up. Nobody can figure out how to make the neck issue go away. He's good for 35 or 40 games, and you've got a $10 million hit for somebody who's in the shop all the time that's the great unknown this is this been handled so poorly from the start i mean he should have been out of there a long time ago he should have been getting treatment a year ago or christmas last year when this really started to surface he might have been you might might have got clearance to play by may or june i don't who knows but now you've just kicked it down the road another six months and he still can't he's not He's no closer to playing today than he was last March. And for an asset like this, it's absolutely ridiculous. I feel bad for the organization. It was handled poorly. I feel bad for Eichel's camp. He wants to play. He wants to 
to get healthy. It was handled poorly. Everybody's got their hands dirty in this deal. And it's really a shame because he's a, he's a bring you out of your seats kind of player when he's ready, when he's able to go. So I, you know, I wish for the league and for him and for everybody involved uh, for Buffalo to get out of the doldrums. I, I hope for everyone's sake that this gets fixed soon, but it, it's not even begun yet. So tough situation for sure. Early on to here in the, here in this season, we're facing um, a question um, officiating wise. Uh, I want to get your thought on it. What, what, what are you, what's your thoughts on the Landeskog hit on deck that got him suspended? I, I didn't like that hit. I said at the time uh, that it, I really, I like Landy and I, and I'm all for, you know, finishing checks and you know me, but I, I did not like that hit. I thought when Dak went to one knee that Landy should have, should have tried to let up at least, the least you can do since your momentum's already carrying to him is put an arm out and try to protect yourself from taking him into the boards. The finish was the problem. I know it happens at, at a very, very high rate of speed. Most people don't experience but i didn't like it i and i thought the suspension was fair under the circumstances he should have let off agreed uh, my, my my yeah my take on it agreed uh, my take on it however is um does this point to and it's a rhetorical question mainly but does this point to um some of the major inconsistencies of player safety that we've talked about was it, a, was it was it a suspendable hit? Yes. Should he have been suspended? Yes. Should he have let up? Yes. Was it a bad hit? Yes. But on the scale of things we've seen over the years, of things that weren't suspended, that were merely just fined or given a minor penalty for, was it, in, at least in that context, was it over the top? Because... And simply because, and and this is not, everybody here knows that I'm an Avalanche fan, but this is not me tooting their horn and jumping to their defense. It was a suspendable hit, 100% agreed. I'm just playing devil's advocate here of, did they go over the top with it, with a two-game suspension for still a shoulder-to-shoulder type finish? when we've seen a lot worse with a lot less? I, for one thing, to answer your question, uh, although it is kind of rhetorical, this was his second suspense, am I right? He's, he's been suspended once before, yeah. Okay. So I think that he probably gets a game if it's his first one. He gets two in this case. I'm okay with it in that sense. But remember, too, that as far as officials are concerned, as far as the league, player safety, the PA, uh, the Board of Governors, uh, the, and the way guys talk about how they're playing and, and what they can and cannot do in preseason and during the summertime when the rule changes are taking effect, you really, to compare this to anything except today is unfair. The, there is too much of a shift in philosophy, in actual tangible rules, um, in the way suspensions are handed out. And I have to believe, although I'm not privy to the first-hand conversations, I have to believe that the league 
and the PA are communicating clearly through the officials and through the Board of Governors what we will be suspending and what we won't, what we're going to be calling, like the cross-check penalty now. Um, these things are being communicated clearly enough that the players and the coaching staffs should know better. And if that's not the case, someone tell me, but I believe everybody knows. As opposed to if you looked at highlights from 10 years ago or five years ago, you'd say this is not a suspension. At 25 years ago, it wasn't even a penalty. But now I think you have, can only compare it to this season. You can only compare it now to three or four games into this season. And these things are always, these things are always evolving. Remember, as we always say on here, the officials don't make up what what is and is not a penalty. George Peros doesn't decide what is and what is not a suspension. They are all dealt the, the standards by the Board of Governors and by the PA. So it, do they always get it exactly right and exactly consistent call to call? No, for sure. But they try. That's, any, any surprises here two or three games in? So we, yeah. So we can transition uh, here in a little bit. Yeah. I, a good, a good uh, question. Certainly, Montreal being winless, um, New York Islanders being win, winless, yikes, Columbus has got two wins, Buffalo's got two wins, um, Minnesota's on top of that division after two games. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of surprises so far. Absolutely. Winnipeg, I, I, I don't, personally, I don't, give a lot of, I don't give a lot of stock to it this early, just simply because – Nowadays, with so much so much parity in the league, yeah, with um, and and then the fact like 2019, St. Louis was in last place in the entire National Hockey League, not just the Western Conference, the entire National Hockey League at the New Year mark. Yep, they won the Stanley Cup. So I, it's important to get out to a good start. It you know. Whether you're a, whether you have a specific team you cheer for or you're just a fan of the game, it's important to to get off to a quick start. I personally don't give a lot of stock to to whether you're zero and two or you're two and zero early on, just simply because you know, especially the past few years, you're finding your footing again with with crowds in in, in the building and with the levels of energy, all this stuff. You're you're likely to see you know the Islanders, the Avalanche. Um, Vegas, these teams start to make a jump and separate themselves as things move forward here. Oh, yeah. It might be a it might be a five hundred start for a couple of weeks, right? But though those are the types of teams. Um, Pitts, Pittsburgh's been playing well. We'll see if they hold on. Um, but teams like the Islanders, um, Tampa, the Panthers, even uh, Colorado, potentially based on our predictions, Philadelphia these teams start to kind of put it together and separate themselves as things move forward. So I try not to give too much stock to, Ooh, this goaltender let that goal in. Oh, they're Oh, and two. Oh, all, all that kind of stuff this early on. St. Louis being an outlier, certainly nobody wants to be in last place overall at Christmas time and presume you're going to win the Stanley cup. That's happened once. Um, you, and, and obviously Nobody would like to be 0-3 to start the season. They'd all like to be 3-0. and If you use that as a means to motivate yourself, then great. 
BO and three, your goaltender's struggling, your special teams are struggling, uh, your stars aren't scoring, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. Motivate yourself that way. If you start three and O, keep building on it. Whatever the whatever the game has dealt you, always deal with it positively. But as you know, we talk about this every season, the rule of thumb and statistically borne out is that around U.S. Thanksgiving, around that 10 or 12 game mark, if you are in the playoffs around U.S. Thanksgiving, you have an 85 high 80s chance that you're going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year. If you're not in, the chances are 85 to 15 against you that you're going to get in. And that's just statistically borne out every single season. Certainly it happens, but you don't want to tempt fate. So surprises, no, but a lot of teams looking at themselves in the mirror just two or three games in. You mentioned parity, right? Yep. The two points is just as important in October as it is in April. So don't get to April where you have to win four out of five to slip into the playoffs. Start now. And that's, that's the urgency that the veterans and the coaching staffs are trying to communicate to everybody. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's talk real quick, and we'll, I'll pull out the fancy uh, whiteboard here for this. But, um, and we'll, we'll, the hope is to get it, whiteboards its own segment here at some point. Um, but for the sake of this, and these markers are not working with me, but... You know, for about six or seven years after I quit coaching, every suit, every uh, suit jacket I put on still had dry markers in it, in the pocket. That's, first of all, I don't wear them very often after I quit, but. Dry markers and gum, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Can't coach without them. Okay, well, these markers are not working, so I'm going to hold this thing up and we're just going to point for right now. Uh, developmental hockey, let's see if everybody remembers this, okay? Forgive the glare, but, okay, so from about right there, out, over, and out. What did we used to call that? Everybody with me now, the house, right? What did we not do in that area? <laughs> or anywhere else on the ice, for that matter. Anywhere else on the ice, but in, in that area, which is your own end, what did we not do? Stare at the puck. Not just stare at the puck, but we did not throw the puck right up the middle right Generally true. yeah right on your own. i used to talk about it all the time when i coached i used to talk about it all the time with my kids when i coached basically this is like an incredibly strong current right that's yep. the metaphor i gave you throw the puck up this area it's going to just come right back you don't go in the middle yeah. And how you many times do we see teams with eight? Yeah. Okay. How many times do we see teams with an eighty million dollar, right? Eighty million dollars, eighty million dollar payroll, and we see teams throwing the puck up the middle of the ice. We see five guys standing right in here, facing the net, face staring at the puck. Yep. Tell me how that works. Now, I say that and. We'll get arguments of, but it does work. They're millionaires. They're professionals. They're this. It does well. Okay, but the point is, how does that work? How do you come in as well? How do you come in three three across? 
three across. I had that explained to me about a month ago by and a one defenseman can cover you three across. Right. Or at least two. And I had that explained to me. I still don't get it. I was never much of a, a real X's and O's guy to begin with. I was more simple than that, but I don't get it. And I, I remember watching uh, just last night, watched what the highlights looked like in uh, Dallas at Ottawa. Ottawa wins five or three to two, five goals scored five times. The defensive team was in the right position. They were inside the puck. They were, they were on the right side of the play. And five times when it went in the net, nobody was looking behind them or to their side. Now in defense of that, as you know, even though you didn't play a lot of defense as a defenseman, when, if you if you've heard a hockey player interviewed at intermission any time in the last 30 years you hear the same thing well we got to get pucks deep we got to get pucks behind their defense we got to turn their defenseman and get on our forecheck standard procedure standard sentences in every single interview the reason that works is because when you get the puck behind him and as a defenseman, you have to turn your back on the other nine guys and pick up the puck and then try to figure out how to get, you know, where you're going to find an open guy to pass to or where you're going to go and find a place to put the puck that will not become a turnover. It's harder when you have everything behind you and the puck in front of you. So that's the same logic as a forward who is standing at his own hash marks watching the puck behind the net while the defenseman slips in from the point past him and picks up a pass. And to watch the puck and be mindful of where the puck's going and to watch where everybody is behind you and to the sides of you is really difficult. There's no way around it. There's no X's and O's or video magicry that, that makes that happen you still have to see the puck and you have to see where your guys are. And the only way to do it without turning your back is to turn your shoulders such that I can still see the puck over here and I can still see my guy over here. And you don't have to have that front to back. You can have more of a 180 or, or 150 degree view and see most of what's going on with you. But that's mm -hmm. why it happens. And that's why teams take advantage of it. But you're 100%. Right. Speaking of turnovers, two games in for most teams, in how many games I've seen of the games that have been played, how I can't tell you how many turnovers I've seen in the two no-no turnover areas, which is the blue lines. Yep. Defensive blue line, offensive blue line, never. And, and how yeah, many times? How many times are do did you with me growing up or any coach who's who actually knows what they're talking about? tell their kids at the blue lines don't f around with it yeah but how many times with these professional athletes on 80 million dollar payrolls do we see you guys get right up to the blue line four others have to come to a complete stop because Kirill Kaprasov or whatever the hell you want to name him or or anybody else decides he wants to go for a little skate yeah while everybody stands still. So you got either a big turnover or your 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 man is offside. Yep. 
And Evan, what you're saying there is, especially at the blue line, at the other team's blue line, when you should be getting it deep or at least getting it in, now not only are your four other guys, your teammates are all standing still, they can't get in on the four check if you're successful in getting it deep. They also can't get back on the back check if you turn it over. You're standing still and it's dead. I, I don't get that. And I, right. don't, I, I don't get the, play, the power play entries. No, I've not. I've never adapted that. Power play entry. Power play entry. You start down on your end. You swing up. Drop pass. Okay. Swing up. Drop pass back to a guy skating full speed. You move up. Then you got four guys coming up like this. And then they all come to a complete stop right at the blue line while you dance your your way dance your way in i'm not okay i'm not and how many times do we see how many times do we see two minute power plays go to waste with no real entry time or zone time no real quality en- zone entries because all you can really do here is then turn it over throw it deep or come in circle block shot and back this way Again, if you have to put it deep, Evan, when you get to that blue line, even on the power play, if you're left with no other option but to throw the puck deep, your other your three forwards or two forwards and a defenseman are standing still at the blue line. They are not four checkers. They're standing still. I don't understand that, but a lot of people that get paid a lot of money to study video and design fancy stuff use it every single night. So who am I? Right. Yeah. We're just sitting here on a podcast while they're out doing it. So there is that <laughs> aspect, but I just, it just, it, it baffles me that you're, you're hammered home that you're not going to go anywhere in the game of hockey unless you pick up on the, the developmental side, the X's and O's, the real important stuff. And then you see $80 million payrolls completely throwing out that out the window. It just, when, when I look at a team, we talk about this a lot. We talk about coaches. We talk about um, the guys. We've spent a lot of time over the first 95 episodes talking about teams like Rick Tockett's team in Arizona that played so well. Rod Brindamore's team in Carolina playing so well. Barry Trotz, Mike Sullivan, Jared Bednar, guys at the top of their game, Quenville and Paul Maurice, and how fundamentally sound they are. When you watch a team play in all three zones, with and without the puck, in, in all situations, power play, kill, five on five, fundamentals are what you look for in not just whether the coach is being able to get through to guys, but if the guys are able to get through to each other. Because as you know, a coach can talk forever. The players tune him out. You've got a minute or two before you lose track of what the coach is saying. It all becomes, it comes down to what the players communicate with each other. If they're fundamentally sound, you can see it a mile away. The, the little things, the 10 fundamental details that you should always remember, when you've got them, you're hard to be, even if you don't have much talent. If you don't have them, you really struggle to win, even if you have superior superior talent on your roster and this is what i you know takes me back to what you're saying now turning your back on the puck turn your back on your guy 
turning, you know, turning the wrong way, turnovers at the blue line, ugly, ugly, ugly men. Agreed. Well, that folks, that kind of covers everything I had in mind to talk about. Is there anything you want to talk about real quick before we decide to close out, finish up this week? We're two games, we're two game, two or three games into the season, the new season. Um, we've talked about pretty much major headlines: uh, the BS COVID stuff, the Jack Eichel situation, some some X's and O fundamentals there. Uh, but unfortunately, two games in, there's not a lot of talk, lot to talk about yet. So. Something kind of gets me, and I I would have to go back and see. You know, maybe I'm not I'm not a I'm not a big analytics guy either, so I don't know what the stats would tell you on this. But it seems like there is an awful lot of injury time being lost right now. Two games into the season, one week in, and you've got Kucherov out. You've got uh, Quentin Byfield out. You've every team is losing guys every night to injuries I don't remember having having played for three or four days and having this kind of man games lost to injury so quickly. You think people are in better shape when they come to camp. Uh, people aren't worn out and fatigue isn't playing a factor. What's your take? I, I, I see a – is it my imagination or am I seeing more injuries? There's a good number of injuries. I mean – I probably should have looked a bunch of stuff up before I said that. But it's, it's hard. It's hard to critique it and pick, pick it apart. These are some of the best athletes in the world out of any sport. Absolutely. Uh, and with exception of a few, and they get weeded out pretty quick in camp. A, a majority of them come in in excellent shape, ready to go. And the ones that don't, they get weeded out in camp. It just is what it is. Um, and now I'm. Bigra in Colorado is an example. You can you come to camp out of shape how many times in a row, you're going to get weeded out and you're not going to make it anywhere. I mean, at, I remember being so upset when he was traded for Ryan Graves to the Rangers. Yeah. And here I am a few years later and Ryan Graves is no longer in Colorado, but I'm I'm still going, "Wow, did we did Colorado win that trade?" It was a stud. It, they get weeded out. So you have to, you have to think that some are, might slip through the cracks, but for the most part, the majority of players that make opening night rosters and are there ready to go are in pretty damn good shape. Oh yeah. You'd have to think and, they're in as good a shape as they're going to be in all year. Yeah. So are there a good number of injuries so far? Two games in? Yes. Does that seem strange this early? Yes. I, to say there's something strange going on, I, I'm hard pressed to say that. It just feels like it's one of those years where, you know, you go in, you, you, you play hard, you're, you're amped up, the crowd is back, you know, all these things and you get dinged up or, you know, whatever. I'm until, until it starts to happen literally on a nightly basis where all of a sudden like dominoes, they just start falling. I'm hard pressed to say that there's something weird going on, but I guess we'll see. Well, it, I, the, the injuries that I've seen are, they almost look fluky and and I'll use Byfields as an example great young player counting on him to be in that 2C hole in in LA and he goes into the boards kind of awkwardly snaps an ankle it was just sort of a weird stumble no contact basically with anyone and um and now he's gone you know who knows probably 8 weeks or more yeah, the Avs had one too. Avalanche had one. Uh, Stefan Matteau 
Um, right. I had one just kind of a weird thing at the, in the bench area where he just kind of, um, can't remember if he bumped into somebody or just whatever. And he folded on his leg folded under him mm-hmm. and he wasn't seen after that. So it, there's some fluky things. There's, you know, it's physical play and a Chishkin's out with an upper body injury, you know, playing a physical game and, you know, things happen. I, and when I say, when I say something strange going on, I, I don't mean that in, a, in like, Oh my God, the league is doing something conspiracy wise. No, 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 no. what, but what I mean, what I mean is something strange, like, is there something in the water? Is there something going on in that regard? I don't, and in, in that sense, again, I'm hard pressed to say there's something strange going on until this becomes a nightly occurrence for the next few weeks or month or so where now, okay, this guy down, geez, just yesterday he went down and now today he's down. Okay. Now, you know, then all of a sudden you're like, Hmm, something weird is, is happening here. But until then it just is uh, it, right, wrong or indifferent. I think it just is what it is. Two, two major, major items of fallout from this are going to be successful organizations, regardless of their opening night roster, successful organizations six months from now are going to have great depth of, uh, within their system. They're going to have great AHL depth. Uh, and secondly, there's going to be – the successful organizations are going to have the ability to juggle the cap because as you see like in Toronto you couldn't bring in Michael Hutchinson from the AHL because you got a couple of defensemen hurt Justin Hall went down so you had to bring Lilligren up so you got no cap space to put a, a backup goaltender so they've got their emergency backup third or fourth string their David Ayers type guy that's now on the bench should something happen to Jack Campbell because there was no roster, no cap space to put a roster goaltender. So you've got to be able to finagle that cap, the long-term injury reserve, the night to night, who comes in from the A, who goes back. Uh, you got to be able to juggle that and you better have some depth. It's important. Every it's important every year. It's important yeah. every single year, but I th- I'm going to make a prediction that it's going to be more important this year than any other year. Based on what we've seen through two games, my prediction is your Stanley Cup champion for 21-22 is going to be the team who not only has the best depth, but whose depth comes through for them. Exactly. And because especially if the league's going to continue doing this bullshit COVID stuff and all this stuff, not to mention any other injuries, and you're seeing it early on. It may only be two games in, but you're seeing it early on. For crying out loud, Colorado put Colorado put a team on the ice against St. Louis the other night that looked like a full-on AHL team. There was nobody up front on the offensive side. With and I love JT Comfer, I love Jost, I love these guys. Burakovsky's great, but with exception of those, there was nobody that really stood out as as NHL caliber producers on the front end. And so your depth is going to have to step in. Yep. And it's and not going to have to step in during the during, down the stretch too, because I can promise you with Col- for Colorado's sake, while I'm using it as, as an example, this isn't going to be the first time. It won't be the la- this isn't the first time. It won't be the last that you see McKinnon or Lanniskog or Rantanen or pick yeah. a guy, yeah. McCarr, anybody like that, Kemper, who isn't in the lineup for whatever reason, either because the league doesn't let him play because of some stupid COVID shit or or an injury. Yep. where they're not in the lineup and it's not going to, and I guarantee you, it's not going to be the last time that that multiple of those players are out at the same time. So 
depth is really going to have to come in. And so at the end of the day, you, you know where I've stood with this for years. I've always stood with this. Yeah, there's factors, but at the end of the day, if you're a contender, if you're competitive, you find, you have to find a way to win no matter who's in your lineup, Yep. no matter what's going on. It can be three quarters of your lineup can be AHL guys for crying out loud. But if you are a true contender, if you're truly competing, you find a way to pull out two points, even with those guys in your lineup, you got to win no matter who's behind your bench, no matter who's in the lineup. It just is what it is. And your Stanley cup champions this year, your competitors this year are going to be the teams that even in the face of adversity, injury wise or whatever else are going to be guys who have Byfield, Alex Newhook, Sampo Ranta, and these guys come up and they're winning hockey games because these guys are filling the, filling the void. Absolutely. And the teams, the teams, and there's going to be one or two this year. And I pray, pray on a personal note, it's not Colorado, but anything can happen. One or two teams that we predicted would be competitive this year will face the adversity. Their depth will step in and their depth will fail. For sure. And, and they will either flunk out of the playoffs if, we're, if they're in the playoffs or they won't make the playoffs at all because their depth will fail. Depth has to step up. Good for Colorado against St. Louis, battling back from 4-1 deficit to make it 4-3 and continuing to fight. That's a good sign. But early on or not, guess what? The depth didn't get the job done. And you gotta find a way to you've got to find a way to to produce and, and do it without McKinnon in the lineup and without these guys. Because you you won't see McKinnon in the lineup again. I can promise you that. You won't see Landeskog at some point again. Injury this, whatever that. So you gotta get figured out. If you don't, you can only drop so many of the points and so many of these games with the depth not coming through before it adds up and now you're not even in the playoffs. You can get yeah, you know, I guess depth isn't just depth. Everybody's got a, a body they can put in. Not everybody's got a body that they can put in that will produce and can contribute to winning a game. More glaring at the goaltender position, you're not going to replace Landis Guy. You're not going to replace McKinnon. You're not going to replace Austin Matthews or pick one, Kucherov. There's, you don't have, nobody has anyone in their AHL system that's going to replace that guy. But if you give an opportunity to a, uh, to a Marty Kaut in Colorado, to a Taylor Radish in Tampa, to a, a Josh Hosang in Toronto, you get a couple of guys banged up, and all of a sudden this guy goes from the AHL to the top six, now he's got an opportunity to change the course of his career. What's he going to do with that? And that's where that's where heroes are made and and shine. That you, you when you get that opportunity, you want a guy that like in the original six days. That's why nobody ever left the game with an injury, because when there were only six teams, if you lost your job for a week and a half, even if you had a broken bone, you ran a genuine risk of never getting a job again ever. Guys wouldn't come out of the out of the lineup. Now, when you do, whether it's concussion protocol or whatever it is, you sit down for a while. And as an organization, I hope my AHL call-up goes on a ridiculous tear. I hope we find lightning in a bottle with some guy that was a third rounder. Not very often that's going to happen. But as an organization, you hope it does. As the guy who had to come out of the lineup, you certainly hope it doesn't. 
because now what? You might be expendable. So, but you're right. Everything's got to be, those guys have to produce. They got to take that opportunity. And the successful team six months from now will be looking back going, boy, oh boy, did we ever have great success with this guy that we called up or that. Not everybody. Some people who are out of the lineup want the depth to succeed because they're the players that are irreplaceable. So if like Landis Gog and McKinnon were talking about or Rantanen or anybody like that, they're out of the lineup, their job is secure. Unless somebody comes in and just completely makes McKinnon look silly. In, in in how they produce, well, it, that won't happen. So McKinnon can sit injury or COVID or whatever else on the sideline watching the game, going, "Sample Ranta looks good." You know, yeah. these guys look good, awesome. Logan O'Connor killing it. You know, things like that, and we and they want it. Now, if you're if you're if you're a Logan O'Connor, if you're somebody like that, you're sitting on the sideline going, "I want the team to win," but oh, am I about to lose my job? Yeah, right. So you're looking at different you're looking at different scenarios based on players. So at the end of the day, you come to the rink every day and you want your team to be successful, whether you lose your job or not. That's that's your organization. That's what you want to happen. And the depth has to come through. There's a few teams right now that that are predicted to be Stanley Cup favorites that are facing some of these injury COVID adversity. Vegas, Colorado, to name two. Those two specifically, there's more than that, and there will be more than that. But those two specifically right now are teams that O'Connor, Ranta, Newhook, Maltsev, these guys are going to have to step up and produce and win you hockey games. At some point, Johansson and Francois are going to have to win you hockey games in Colorado if you're going to be successful because you're not going to go an 82-game schedule with all your all-stars in the lineup for 82 games. So depth has to come through. Otherwise, Colorado flunks out of the playoffs again or doesn't make the playoffs at all. Depth is so important. It always has been, but I would argue through two games, if we can make a prediction this early, it's going to be more important than it's ever been this year. This Every year since the lockout, which was is now – been 17 years ago, um, every year it has gotten tougher and tougher to make the playoffs for those last four or five teams. Every year there are more teams on the outside, more good teams on the outside looking in than the years prior. So, yeah, I I believe because of parity, because of the depth that people are putting together, uh, because now you're drafting from all over the world constantly and the talent pool is much deeper than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, your your depth and the depth that will perform, the depth that will produce uh, and make an impact, those are the teams that those are the teams that succeed and there's no way around it. Never count on having your having all your horses in the lineup for 82 games. You're it's not going to happen. Now you can't even ride a goaltender for more than 50 or 55 or he starts to fall apart. I mean, the days of Glenn Hall and even Marty Broder playing 65, 70, 75 games a year, those are gone, long gone. You're vilified if the guy plays more than 50. So there's got to be um, – there. you have to have that talent ready to come up and ready to produce for sure. And that's what makes it interesting. It's but great. It makes it exciting and makes it all that stuff. But yeah. if, if you're looking at it, you're looking at it and you're – when your depth has to come in, 
82 game schedule finds its way down to a short little bubble real quick. And your depth has to start to producing within pick a number, a 10, 15 game segment increment there. Otherwise that's 10 or 15 games that you've now lost. You don't have in your chances. And now you're, 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 you got yourself a big hole. So and that's, that's where I'll say that, okay, it's only two games. I don't look, put a lot of stock in whether you're 2-0 and or 0-2. But when depth is concerned, it starts real quick. And now if you're not careful, if the depth doesn't produce, you can go from 0-2 to 3-15 and real quick if, if the depth isn't producing. And at that point, 3-15, and not impossible, but you're looking at trouble. So depth has to come in. I w- was happy with the, on a personal note, I was happy with the fight Colorado put up against St. Louis based on what their lineup was, but you've now burned one game. Now the depth against Washington on Tuesday, because the likelihood that, it, that McKinnon can play, not great. Landis Gog's serving another, another game of his suspension. Nachishkin's still hurt. Taves is not... It, not healthy yet. So you're looking at these things and okay, what do you do with this one? Do you burn a second game or do you come through and produce? Cause if you go, if you start burning games like this, you're going to start losing your, your cushion, if you will, your leeway to be able to lo- lose a point here, a point there whatever, and still be able to compete. Even if you are a Vegas odds favorite for the Stanley cup, you're going to lose it real quick if the depth can't produce. Teams are too good, Evan. Plain right and simple. Now, if you if you're if you're the Vegas Golden Knights and you are without Mark Stone and Pacioretty for probably Pacioretty will be gone six weeks minimum. No word about Stone. Uh, Kucherov gone for quite a long, quite a long stretch. They they claim him to be week to week. When you see a guy like of that caliber starting to get put on LTIR. Now you better hope that Peyton Krebs or somebody is going to come in and give you a 20-game run that you can count on and put up, start putting up some numbers and win some games for you because there are going to be too many good teams nipping at your heels. You don't have that kind of margin. What if all of a sudden Winnipeg takes flight and they become good? What if St. Louis regains form? Minnesota takes another step forward. Like, you don't have any place to hide. You don't have a dozen games to figure it out. You've got to have guys come in. And, and when, when the difference between home ice and, and having to win everything through the playoffs on the road or between making the playoffs and not, when it comes down to a tie or two or a couple of wins or a couple of losses, as we say often on this show, you – you find yourself a lot of teams find themselves with a you know win three out of four and we're in the catbird seat lose three out of four we're either out of the playoffs or we're we lost home ice and now we're in deep trouble now we got to go through vegas and through here st louis or someplace to try to win you don't want to do that so you just don't have that much margin your margin is this thick and what would you say the number is then because you have to think with so much parity, the margin is really, really thin. The margins probably when you're looking at 
injury adversity and you're looking at the depth having to come through the margin is what six games eight games for the for it, it differs if you are if you're colorado and i hate to say this if you're colorado you've probably got six or eight games that you can you can stumble around a little bit. You can be without some guys. You can maybe lose a couple of points here and there that you should have gotten. But if you are Chicago, you're Minnesota, uh, your Calgary Flames, your your margin of error might be two or three games where you can really just step in it and lose two points to a, a team that you should have beaten at home. You blow a three-goal lead or something you might, your margin might be two games. And then those four points at the end of the year, go, you're going from ninth to seventh. Uh, so so for the sake of argument, say it's, for the sake of argument, say it's eight games. Okay. Colorado's already burned one of those eight games just for the sake of, of making it. They're now on the brink, depending on what they do Tuesday against Washington of potentially burning a second of those eight games. So the depth has really got to come through. And with so much parity and so much parity out there, you if your depth doesn't come through, somebody else's will. <laughs> so while your depth doesn't come through, Vegas's does. While Vegas's doesn't, Colorado's does. While Colorado's doesn't, Tampa's. Bangles. Right? And, and so there's only – that's why it's an eight-game little window when, when it's nothing but your depth, right? Where – Secondary scoring is one thing when all your guys are healthy, you, you want secondary scoring. But when all you have is your secondary scoring because your top guys are hurt or out or whatever, that's where it's all on your depth. And if it's all on your depth, your window is about eight games. And all on depth, Colorado's burned one. We'll see what Vegas does with their injuries. Tampa does with theirs. But Colorado's already burned one out of, say, eight games. And then you don't want to burn those eight games too early on because then you have no room for movement later on. So figure it out, get the job done, start producing and show you can so that a guy like McKinnon can miss a game or two stone Pacioretty Byfield, These guys can go out and you can go, you know what? We can still get two points. Otherwise you're, you're on the outside looking in depth is so, so valuable that you just, you can't miss it. There's another, there's another factor there that, that everybody has to be aware of uh, that's outside the room. And that is your systems. Detroit under Babcock did it really well for a really long, and Scotty did it really well for a really long time. Barry Trotz does it well. Joe Quenville did it great in Chicago. These two guys are out. These two are in. The system still accounts for you. We play. We're gonna. We can tweak our system to tighten up a little bit defensively. Have a little bit better penalty kill if we don't. If we're missing uh, a, a top scorer for two weeks, we can make some changes. We can. We can take a bottom six player, plug him into a first power play role, and or a, a first penalty kill team role, and he can succeed if the system around him allows for him to not have to play outside his capability and that's that's where systems have to be fluid based on your personnel and if they're not then you're gonna if you lose uh if you lose a mckinnon or a pat kane and you try to bring uh you try to bring a kid from the ahl up and plug in there and expect results you give him an infinitely better chance if your system will allow 
allow him to play his game instead of bringing this kid up and trying to make him into Pat Kane or, or McKinnon. It's not going to happen not at that level. So really got to be careful with your system a little bit. You've got to be able to adjust successful teams, successful coaching staffs will make those adjustments on the fly and be able to do that night after night. So that really, really puts your guys in a much better position. Yep. So we'll see what teams can do with their depth here when they face some adversity here. So uh, episode 96, we're on the hockey podcast. Uh, thanks for joining on zoom again this week. We're going to do uh, I will be in town for 100. Perfect. Inching closer to 100. We'll figure something out for that and how we're going to do that. Um, and yeah, head to the necessary social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, at Warm the Hockey Podcast, respectfully. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hit the notification bell so you uh, can see our videos and whatever else. And uh, we will have, once we get markers at work and get things figured out, we'll have more um, standalone whiteboard sessions uh, in their own own things separate from from episodes from our episodes but uh, i thought we'd at least point out some x's and o's this week and uh, lots to look forward to seasons underway junior hockey's underway um, things at least in that regard despite all the bs going on with covid stuff still hockey's back the fans are back in the in the seats which is a positive so you got to look at it that way so lots to look forward to uh warm the hockey podcast thanks for joining this week and thanks for having me i'll see you in a couple of days Yes, see you here in person in a couple of days. Um, I'm Evan Rauer with Warm the Hockey Podcast. We'll see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.